0: podcast was recorded on Aboriginal land, the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. This episode also discusses events that occurred on the land of the Dja people. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Hello Christina, welcome to In Those Days. Thanks we're, Penny. We're going to be... Talking about yesterday's news today, Trove chat. What I want to talk to you about today, Christina, is another area of Trove, mm-hmm. uh, not the newspapers. It's the the books, the books of Trove, the books of Trove, because Trove indexes all the libraries of Australia, and so it's not hundred percent, but you can look up you can look up a book and find out which library it's in. Wow. All across Australia, which is very, very
1: useful. Do you sometimes look up where your books are, Penny? Um, true, true. Oh, most days. Um.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I would be doing that. <laughs> no, but I do, um, but yeah. not, not, not every day. Um,
1: <laughs> and then approach them if they're not there. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> With a
0: demand. Yeah. <laughs> um, but are you a member of your local library, Christina? No,
1: no I'm not, Penny. I'm not. No. Interesting. No. Um, Because I'm a member of four. <laughs> Look, there's always an overachiever in the room, and I think that's you this afternoon, Oh, God.
0: Yarra, Melbourne, mm-hmm. Burundi, and Moreland. Although, to be fair, I haven't used Moreland for years. And which is your fave? <laughs> Oh, you can't choose a favourite. Really? No. But what's good about Trove is so rather than having to go to all the individual catalogues, I can just look in Trove and go and it'll tell me, oh, it's in there And files. then you know where to direct your library exactly. visit. Exactly. And that can be also very useful when I'm researching topics for this podcast. I feel bad I'm not a member of a library now. Well if you're not using it, you don't need it. If you wanted to be, you would be.
1: So true. <laughs>
2: Uh, I, I really thought, you know, I, I'm a member of three libraries. I thought that would be impressive, but you've blown me out of the Oh, matter.
0: Yeah, I think it was five at one stage, but I can't actually remember
1: the fifth, so I might be making that up. Maybe I'll go and look at Mornington again. Oh, <laughs> well, it's a good library. It's got there.
0: a
2: cafe
1: there.
0: Yeah, oh. well, they often do.
2: Okay. I you haven't been to Moreland for a while, though, because they've already changed their name to Mary Beck now. Of course.
1: Oh, well, Ugh. everyone's going to judge you. <laughs> God damn it.
0: Mm. Okay, so we've got Tim Carruthers here. Who?
2: Hello,
1: hello, Tim Carruthers.
0: Has worked as an editor and is now a publisher in educational
1: computer publishing. Is that it? Wow, <laughs> that sounds a clunky penny. <laughs> is that what you do?
2: Uh.
1: Who are you, Tim? <laughs> do we know you?
2: Well, um, that's that's not my job title, but it's it's not completely off the mark. Um, <laughs> H- I, <laughs> I, I I worked as a as an educational publisher for a bunch of years, and just in the past six months, I'm I'm now a digital product manager, which is working on educational digital products. So, yeah.
0: So, we've actually, this is a follow-up podcast because we had Tim in before to talk about the gold rush and his journey when he tried to walk from Melbourne to Castlemaine in two days. We were reading a letter by a sailor who was walking from Melbourne. No, he was riding a horse from mm-hmm. um, from Melbourne to Castlemaine.
2: Mm-hmm. Easy mode compared to walking. Yes. yes.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it was a very long letter and we only got to Gisborne. And, of course, Tim... I only got to Sunbury um, before he's got picked up in a car. But I thought we'd carry on because the sailor's still going. Mm. He hasn't piped and gone home. So we'll just um, – He's pretty much on a pub tour, a yeah, pub exactly. crawl. And so I thought we'd, we'd head on with day two. Mm. And this is when he's going to go through the Black Forest. So it's quite exciting. Sounds like a cake. <laughs> yum. Yum. <laughs> We breakfasted at six o'clock. Could have been cake.
1: Could have been. Could have been. Hopefully high protein for the day ahead.
0: (laughs) Saddled our horses and started. The hot wind of yesterday had been succeeded by a chilly morning and dark clouds travelling rapidly from the westward with occasional spittings of rain gave omen of a cooler ride than that of yesterday. So
1: maybe they'll stop at fewer pubs. Yep.
2: Well, uh, were there many pubs in the middle of the Black Forest in those days? I guess that's what we'll find out.
1: Hopefully they've got some trail mix. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a short distance from the bush inn, we entered the Black Forest and soon the rain, which before was confined to a few drops occasionally, came down in real earnest, thick, fast and constant. And the Black Forest, I don't know. when—it Sounds it, spooky.
2: It does. Well, I-, I was trying to figure out who named it and when. Yes. Because I've, it's named after the famous Black mm. Forest, the one in Germany. Yeah. Or Oh, the cake. <laughs> Which yeah. the cake is named after. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. And if it, it's not like an official name. It's not even on a lot of maps. It's just that's what everybody calls it. Mm. The
0: earliest reference I could find to it being called that was 1839 hmm. in Trove. And it was a dangerous spot because pe- bush rangers would hide and rob people um, and it was famous for being the trickiest part of the journey. Um, I've got a picture of it looks ominous. It's black and white. I mean, it's trees with a road. It, it, as I said, ominous. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Even today, it's it's still foresty and dark and, yeah. Yeah. and rainy, so, yeah.
0: Absolutely. And I guess, you know, there were a lot of people travelling. There was new wealth. There were ex-convicts around. There was non-existent or very corrupt law enforcement. So it looks haunted as well. It, there were ghosts. Yeah. Scary times. Okay. Yeah. We were soon wet through and our steeds, none of the best originally, oh. showed symptoms of preferring a walk to any other pace. Well, who wants to run in the rain? <laughs> <Except> me. <laughs> I was about to go, yeah, and I was like, no, you love
1: that. Yeah, get out there, Penny. <laughs> it's really nice and refreshing. Okay. But he's so rude about the horses. He is. I don't, I'm not on board with him. The
0: excessive heat of the previous day added to a rough night in a stockyard with but little to eat had not improved their powers of progression. We, however, jogged on at a slow pace, the continuous strings of wayfarers up and down, which we had never ceased to pass since leaving Melbourne, still kept up their scarcely broken lines. But by far the greatest proportion were, like ourselves, outward bound. So this is the big... Influx of people into the gold fields and I've got some numbers. I don't know if they're right. Share your stats. (laughs) I've got some. So that Australia as a whole, their population grew from 430,000 to 1.7 million in the 20 years that followed the discovery of gold. So it's a lot Mm. of people arriving and a lot of them were
1: going to. A lot of gold diggers. Exactly. Yeah.
2: I I read there was a a statistic of in one day 3,000 people arriving, Uh, a story of a a guy riding like 15 miles and passing, you know, one person every sort of 20 seconds.
1: Yeah. mm.
2: Which is dense for, yeah.
0: Exactly. It It was a lot of people and I think thinking about what that, would mean. Obviously, white people, like the land had been colonized for, you know, a few years by then, but it's that influx of people. It's all of those people mm. coming all at once. Like it must have just been mm. extremely overwhelming and the disposition just would have been so fast at that time. And then also the things that they were doing when they got there was really destroying the land as well. The judge were wrong people. Like they, with the gold diggers, they did trade. And exchange information with the miners, and so it't wasn't, it wasn't all like a one way just having mm. your stuff stolen, but it was basically a pretty awful time
2: mm. I was reading like uh, Forgotten War by Henry Reynolds and some other sort of more recent history books that have come out, which apparently in large parts of Victoria and some parts of New South Wales that a lot of local people were apparently wiped out by smallpox epidemics in some, in a lot of cases okay. even even before the Europeans got there because smallpox had been spread yeah. Yeah. in the it's early horrible. 1800s by whalers and that sort of thing mm. and it really decimated the local populations. There was this sort of double whammy effect of like really getting hit hard by this horrible, deadly, super contagious disease and then another sort of half generation later, this yeah. big influx of settlers.
0: Yeah, it's not a good time. But in this letter, the, this sailor, he never acknowledges at all that anyone lives there. <laughs> He's a selfish man. The rain seem to have no effect in delaying or retarding their progression. On horseback, in carts, on foot, alongside of drays that were carrying their luggage, swag they called it, or alongside of no drays but carrying the swag themselves, They plodded along, seemingly unconscious of the drenching they were getting, or probably thinking that as the great bane of the diggers was want of water, the good in perspective would more than counterbalance any present inconvenience. I confess this was my thoughts, and when the next day those we met told us that the rain had not extended to the mount, I felt disappointed. And as you mentioned before, Tim, I find it is often raining in Macedon and nowhere else.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is absolutely true to this day.
0: Safely through the Black Forest and slowly on the road, we wended our way. So they haven't met any bush rangers in the Black Forest, which is disappointing. A little bit disappointing. But don't worry, because they're keeping on going. Excellent. The rain had cleared off and a cutting wind set in, but no cutting seemed to affect our steeds, which we were frequently obliged to dismount and take in tow. And complaining about the horses again. Mm. And when we arrived at the township of Kyneton, 20 miles from the diggings, they were evidently too much knocked up to perform the remainder of the journey that day at least. As in
1: they were too pregnant or they were just like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think. I just don't think they gave them much food or water. I think that was part of the yeah. problem.
0: And then they're like, it's not working. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't put fuel in. Yeah. It,
2: it does seem weird. Like, didn't people use horses all the time and they yeah. would have been familiar that you can't just, like, ride yes. them forever?
0: Well, I guess they, these are sailors.
2: Oh, good point. Mm. Maybe they didn't.
0: Yeah, you have to mm. feed these boats. <laughs> yeah. I'll they're very confused. Rest. They keep looking for the anchor but they can't <laughs> find it. So they were turned into a paddock and we were compelled most reluctantly again to seek the shelter of an inn on the road to oh, the digging. <laughs> so they're back in the pub. Right. Now, Kiton has really changed quite a lot in recent years, would you say, Tim?
2: Um, yeah, yeah. Although
0: well, when I lived in Castlemaine, we never went to Kiton. <laughs>
2: did I, you ever I,
0: go to Kyneton?
2: I, I did because my, my dad taught at schools sort of closer to there and, at, and briefly for a while at Kiton, So, yeah, I, I remember going there a few times. And it always seemed like a bit like Castlemaine but more flat. That was my childhood mm. memory. It
0: is really flat, which is great for bike riding.
2: <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's got similar, you know, big fancy, like Victorian-era mm. buildings, yeah. lots of inns.
0: I don't know, probably 10 or 15 years ago, it developed a lot of cafes.
2: The big growth industry in central Victoria exactly. over the past 20, 30
0: <laughs> mm. years. Exactly. Foodie Cafes
2: and small art galleries and mm. shops that sell knickknacks. Yeah,
0: that's right. And our sailor, though, when he was there, he didn't like it
2: much. <laughs> um, well, this are is any w- knickknacks? I mean,
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is what he wrote: crowded like the one of last night in bar and parlor, in kitchen and tap room, in every imaginable part of the lower portion of the house, with men in every garb of various physiognomies physinog-
2: I knew I wouldn't be able to. Do
0: it. <laughs> Physiogamies. Physiognomy? Physiognomy, whatever.
2: I'm never sure whether to pronounce the G in that one.
0: We've done that word. Okay. <laughs> Moving on from that word. <laughs> in which the decidedly scampish greatly predominated, promised anything but a pleasant night. However, we early engaged our three beds together in the same room, for which we soon had cause to congratulate ourselves. We retired early. But sounds of fighting, cries of robbery, etc., kept us awake nearly all night. What so, a fun time. Bit of luck.
2: Well, there you go. Like the Central Victorian pubs haven't changed that much <laughs> in, in all those years.
0: He's getting to see he be part of some of the crime now, which is good. The first thing we heard in the morning was that one man had been stuck up against the stable door, which is not as much fun as it sounds. No. And a robbery attempted in the middle of the night and that only by his shouting murder lustily had escaped. <laughs> and if, But if you're not actually murdered, should you well, shout
1: that? No, it's going to be the classic boy who cried wolf situation. Yeah. Next in, no one's going to listen to him.
0: Someone's going to pop up and go, well, you can't be
1: dead because he's still talking. Yeah. The knife might be in, but it's not over.
2: <laughs> well, he could be crying like attempted murder. Yes,
1: yes. attempted murder. Or,
0: that's right, not manslaughter. No. You have to be dead for that too. Mm. Yeah. I studied what law for, for two <laughs> years. I know about these things. Another had actually been robbed of 40 pounds, for which offence one man was in charge of the chief constable of the village and his watch housekeeper the only available force, and force is in in quotation marks, in the place in one of the rooms in the hotel. While seated at breakfast, word was brought us that the constable and his assistant had just brought the prisoner out to convey him to the watch house when he had been rescued by the rest of the gang, (laughs) headed by a Negro a well-known character of gigantic proportions going by the name of Black Douglas. Oh,
1: inappropriate. He's
0: a bush ranger. Oh. Yes. Well, he was famous for being a bush ranger. Right. Hmm. Which I found interesting because when I think of bush rangers, I think of white people Hmm. because that's what we were taught, um, particularly Irish I
2: I don't think I'd ever heard of Black Douglas until uh, a year or two ago.
0: Yeah. And I think because that kind of um, male white bush ranger sort of archetype that's been in films and movies and, books mm. and um, songs, that's just what we're used to. But actually there were different types of people who were bush rangers as well. I found this historian called Meg Foster and she is an historian of banditry.
2: That's a good thing to specialise <laughs> in.
0: Yeah. sensational. So she's living her best life. Um, and she has researched and written a lot about Black Douglas and also other bushrangers who don't fit that stereotype. And she wrote her PhD thesis about it. And then in 2022, she published a book called Boundary Crosses, where she discussed some of these people, including Black Douglas. And she showed that there was like a lot of myths about um, mm. about Black Douglas. So- To talk about this, I found his obituary from when he died and I thought if we go through that and we compare it to what Meg Foster, her actual research on actual facts about Mm. his life, is quite interesting. So this is from The Age, from the 17th of May, 1892, and it's titled Death of a Notorious Bushranger. Bendigo Monday. A notorious criminal whose name in the early 50s was a terror to colonialists generally, and especially to diggers going to Melbourne, died in Bendigo Jail yesterday. So that's exactly where our sailor came across him on the way, um, on the road to Bendigo in the 50s. -hmm. This individual, Charles Russell Elias Black Douglas, was born at Bristol, England 75 years ago and arrived in the colonies while still a young man. Now, if we go into Foster's research about, about his life, he was born William Douglas, not Charles Russell. That wasn't his name. That was the <laughs> pseudonym he used. He wasn't born in the UK. He was born in <laughs> Philadelphia. <laughs> same saying. <same. laughs> they just didn't mention this, but he was well educated and he could read and write. And so he probably was a sailor from, and so from America he went to England and there he was convicted of stealing two coats and then he tra- was transported to New South Wales. Hmm. And he did not like being a convict and he got flogged a lot and then sent to Tasmania, which is where they sent all the naughty convicts.
2: Mm. <laughs> As you were saying, yeah, last time, Van Diemen's Land.
0: Yeah, he's a Van Demonian. <laughs> And the obituary it- goes on, at first he devoted himself to prize fighting. So he was a prize fighter and that's probably where he started using the name Black Douglas. Mm. So he may have chosen that name himself or someone else might have given it to him. But
2: Well, it's, it's a riff on the the old Scottish Black Douglas, right?
0: So, I didn't know about like this. Fun. What's this?
2: Um, I know very little about the Scottish Black Douglas, but in basically in medieval times, like the 1300s, so this was this was this sort of Scottish warlord character who a bunch of I things think read happened. A poem about him. Yeah, yeah. It became a famous figure. It's a Black Somebody, Douglas a
1: whiskey as well.
2: Yeah, and that's named mm. after the, that Black Douglas.
1: Yes. Oh, but the,
0: a lot of these, you know, Bush Rangers and these figures, they often are referencing other people, and mm. people get amalgamated as well. Mm. Legends. I,
2: I think it's among the betrayals. Fun. His death at the Black Dinner served as one of the inspirations for the Red Wedding in Mm. Game of Thrones.
1: So he is famous. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's been confirmed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The obituary continues, but afterwards he turned his attention to bush ranging and soon gained great notoriety for his lawless deeds. Mm. And this is where actually... Meg Foster's like, no, he was only a bush ranger for a very short time. And he was only definitely a bush ranger in 1841 when he absconded as a convict and then he was living in the bush and and robbing people. Once you get the reputation for being a bush ranger, then it just kind of carries with you wherever you go. And the obituary says he was a powerfully built man, six feet, three or four inches in height. He was actually five feet, eight inches. (laughs) He often
1: wore heels. Yeah,
0: or five, nine and a half at most. And so he, he was a lot taller than other people. Like I think the average height was about five feet four. But they just exaggerated it.
1: They were just like, "He's really tall." Like, oh, six feet, like it's just <laughs> constantly on a step. It's just completely.
2: It's made like off. a law that you're not allowed to say someone is tall or powerfully built unless you can also say that oh, at least six foot. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah.
0: Diggers returning to Melbourne were frequently waylaid and robbed. One of his exploits was robbing a gold escort between Bendigo and MacIver. Eventually, however, he was captured. He was never charged with robbery, theft or murder as a free man in Australia. So once he was free and living in the Bendigo area, never charged with that. <laughs> he, in 1855, he was arrested by a mob of miners and he was nearly lynched. He was suspected of having robbed tents and murdering a woman in a voca. Oh. But in the end, he was actually only charged with entering two tents.
2: Jack- it, you he just, charged um, with entering it. the tent?
0: Yeah. So he, I don't think he actually did these things. There was just a mob formed yeah. and were like, the black guy did it. Mm. And then, I mean, uh, you can imagine how innocent you'd have to be to get off from the law <laughs> yes. as a black person in that day in that and wow. age. Since he's released from imprisonment for these offences, he has served several terms for petty. T- crimes and when he died was in jail under a sentence of three months received at Rochester for vagrancy. Of late years he has been of a rather quiet disposition and made pretense of being skilled in phrenology. <laughs> I mean to be honest he was probably just about as skilled as anyone else in phrenology. Well that's exactly right. <laughs> just com- it's completely made up so yeah he was really he gave it a go. He, he apparently used to do it in the pubs. <laughs> Um, And so what Foster reckons is that his reputation was really fearsome and people said that he did all this stuff, but he was actually mainly just drunk and homeless. Mm. (laughs) Poor guy. Which wasn't really rare on the gold fields. No.
2: Um, On the other hand, was it rare for five foot nine men from Philadelphia? That's
0: the thing that was rare. And then he – so he became like a bogeyman for everyone's fears, not like about black people Mm. and then also about the goldfields in general that they were Mm. filled with these lawless scary people and he was just a really good um, representative of that Hmm. for people to kind of latch on. And so there were like rumours that he used to rob people and then tie them naked to a tree with bull ants in their boots. (laughs) Did not do that. Definitely did not do that. A very specific thing to do. Exactly. And people like to brag that they'd met him and say, oh, I came, Black Douglas came along and I saw Black Douglas and he did these awful
2: things. You you really get the impression that writing in a newspaper in the 1800s was even closer (laughs) to fiction optional, (laughs) than it is today.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's debatable, isn't it? But uh, it's hard to quantify that for sure. (laughs) And so that made me think, well, look, I wonder whether it was even him who broke this guy out of jail. But actually, he was um, arrested for that. And conv- he was convicted for it. And he defended himself in court. Hmm. In that, on that occasion, he assaulted a police officer. But that was the most serious crime that he was convicted of. That's not much compared to
1: No. All the
0: flames, all the bull ants situation. <laughs> so the sailor continues, we were glad to get away from such society. I actually get the uh, the feeling that
1: he was kind of glad to get away from me. he's also a bit excited that he got to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was.
2: Well, if someone's gonna, going to be, you know, robbed and threatened with murder, it's always nice when you can be sort of comfortable in bed at the same time. Exactly. And then the next
1: afterwards. morning you come
0: down to breakfast, so like, what's the news? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as soon as we had caught our horses and saddled them, we're on the road again.
1: I like to think that they had trouble catching their horses in the morning. Yeah. With their foul attitudes towards them. (laughs) The supposedly (laughs) slow horses. Hopefully someone got
0: kicked. (laughs) (laughs) Still the same unvarying swarm of people and apparently never-ending stream and still continuing till we arrived at the diggings, which we did at two o'clock and following along the bank of Forest Creek, in a short time we came to an anchor in the wooden edifice which was to be our shelter for a time. So... He's finally found his anchor. He's found <laughs> He's found his anchor and he's actually at the goldfields.
2: Is that like a literal ship anchor or is that like a, a turn of phrase? No,
0: we came to an anchor.
2: Oh, well, there you he go. He
0: means I stopped. But, yes, because he's a sailor. Mm. I didn't even think about Baba. He's just full of
1: sailor words. Yeah, he folded up his sails. <laughs> exactly. I don't know what <laughs> that's you that's do what on do the it. ship. I don't they do know. They fold <laughs> them yep. up. Pop them in the drawer. Yep out again in the morning with a fresh set
0: <laughs> that's what we do with our shade sail every six months we take it down or we put it up in the backyard do you? don't want it up in winter know you had
2: a shade sail
0: oh very very hot in the courtyard without it
2: well you practically are a sailor
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly.
1: i mean there's no difference really
0: that's our sailor's journey for today he's made it to the gold fields. he craps on a whole lot more once he's there about what oh, he sees I bet he does what I wanted to keep talking about today was not that, but I wanted to keep talking about bush rangers because, like many people, I am a little bit fascinated with them. So I wanted to ask you guys, Tim, what did you learn about bush rangers in school?
2: Um, I, I remember ha- having to rehearse the, the song of the Wild Colonial Boy. Jack Doolan was his name.
1: Of poor, well, but honest parents, he was born <laughs> morning, in
2: Castlemaine. See, exactly. I can't remember the rest that of must the verses. quite
0: specific to your school. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, because we we live near Castlemaine. Right. So we were very proud of Jack. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Jack Dillon, But it's very confusing about who that actually was. Yeah. It's it was two different people probably. Mm, and mm. only one of them was actually born in Castlemaine.
1: <laughs> to uh, be
0: fair, I wasn't born in Castlemaine.
1: Where were you born? East Melbourne. <laughs> oh, interloper. What about you, Tim?
2: I was, I was also born in East Melbourne and moved to Castlemaine as a toddler.
1: What's with that? What's with the East Melbourne connection? Hospital. Oh, so there wasn't <laughs> one up there?
0: <laughs> no, well, my parents lived in Broadford-Kilmore, which is not that far. Oh, yeah. From Melbourne,
1: really.
2: Mm. And I'm a child of city folks, so I'm a, right. a total blow-in.
1: Mm, okay. It was good that they accepted you eventually.
2: <laughs> no, no. Have they? My no. parents have lived in Castlemaine for more than 40 years and they're they're still not as local as the people who've been there forever.
1: Disappointing.
0: But that song, mm. I really felt that oh, quite proud <laughs> the name of the town
2: was in the song. There was that. and the other thing which came up a few times was Captain Melville because there's the Melville Caves not too far away from just sort of like west of Bendigo, mm. northwest of Castlemaine, um, which we went to on some school excursions because it's also some nice big rocks and Mm. you climb on them and you go camping and stuff they were legendarily the place where the bush ranger captain melville had hidden out and uh, it's got a great view of the surrounding countryside so the story was always that oh captain melville could keep a lookout if there were any Mm. you know approaching police is it true i'm i'm not sure but given that every historical record i've read of captain melville says that melville was actually operating in mount macedon (laughs) which is quite some distance (laughs) From the Melville Caves, I'm tempted to think that it might be a bit of wishful thinking. Yeah. It was just an excuse for an excursion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing with bushrangers. Like, there's truth and then there's the storytelling, and it's all very confused. Mm. Um, Christina, what about you? You're a city kid, and I you went to school in the city. What, I did. did. Did you still learn about bushrangers?
1: Just your basic Ned Kelly. Not really anything else, to be honest. Yeah, I guess we did get a little bit more, didn't we?
2: Mm. Yeah. And there's all the the trips to Sovereign Hill and and that sort of thing. Uh, Did you go
1: to Sovereign Hill? Did you go to Sovereign Hill, yep, bought the umbrella lollies or whatever they were. They were yum. Never got one of the old fashioned photos taken though. Very disappointed. I never got one of those. They'd be expensive. I think they were. I think that's why my parents kept shepherding me away from them. <laughs> We went on
0: a we went recently with the kids and they enjoy it. But geez, they find little ways all through the place you can spend money. <laughs> mm,
1: it's like Disneyland. Little, yeah. the gold panning undertone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was better than I thought it would be because I remember it being fantastic as a kid. Well mm. there's so Lots of Clydesdales around. Yeah, we went on the horse-drawn carriage. Yes, mm. pay for that. So how much is that? Oh, might have been five bucks each. Mm. We probably got a family ticket for maybe 15-20. twenty. Mm. I'm not. I,
2: I think uh, I read that the the staff are, are striking at the moment. So oh. solidarity with the workers yeah, of Sovereign absolutely. Hill. They're wearing
0: modern clothing. <laughs> well, whatever it is, I'm I'm on absolutely
1: on their side. I'm sure that they have They've got their good reason. reason. Exactly. They're mm. not just Did humbugs. <laughs> <laughs> Did like those jars of lollies too. Yeah, they have really good lollies mm. but we're not having them until they <laughs> treat their workers no. right. Can you order those online? I wonder. Some boiled sweets <laughs> from that, Sovereign Hill. Is that still crossing the picket? <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> so there was another Bushranger connection when I was at school that I remember. was very exciting. I think I was in grade five or six. And there was another school in my area that did a play. It was a musical. I remember it being called Captain Midnight. And it was so good, Christina. It's about a bush ranger and his dad died. And Were you devo? You weren't in it? Well, I was really (laughs) jealous of the school that did it. Mm. And I, I thought they were amazing. I I, it was so fantastic. And then I've been friends with Tim from about year seven and only very recently I said, do you remember that play, Captain Midnight? Did you go and see it? And
1: what did you say, Tim?
2: I was in it. Nice. <laughs> it was my school. It
1: was there. <laughs> the man and the legend. <laughs> and who
0: did you play, Tim?
2: I played the small but pivotal role. of. <laughs> <laughs> Of the governor.
0: Excellent. So he was on the, kind of on the baddie side, I would oh, say. Oh, on was it a musical? Oh, it yeah. was a musical. Uh,
2: there was definitely excellent. songs.
0: After Tim and I talked about this, we could not remember, like, what the actual play
1: was or anything Just about it. Just that it was amazing. There, there, there was a
2: Bushranger. There was, there was um, a governor in it. There was also Queen Victoria makes a at least a, a yes. small appearance. As oh. all good plays <laughs> deserve.
0: And, and so I then looked at, well, actually I had to ask on Facebook. Unfortunately, I said, does anyone in Castlemaine remember this play? And then someone else goes, oh, well, it's actually a fairly well-known <laughs> 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 children's book and it was adapted into a play. And it was written by Randolph Stowe. The book originally, Midnight, the Story of a Wild Colonial I'll Boy. look. And this is the book and I used Trove to find that that Melbourne um, Melbourne library had a copy of that he wrote it in 1967 and they republished it recently it's a classic and it's actually really funny
1: are we going to see one of your books made into a play or a musical, Penny? Because I, I would be bang up for I, that. I'd go a TV show. but Yeah, um, or a film. <laughs> That'd be exciting. Can I be in it? I think there's
0: not quite <laughs> enough action. Yeah, you can be in it.
1: All right, I'm in it. You can be a teacher. I don't mind which one. Or I'll you can be in. a grade five, whatever you yeah. feel. Whatever feels yeah. right on the day.
2: This is getting off topic, but the Olympic sports one, absolutely I can see that as a like an Australian movie.
0: Anyway, but the play adaptation was written by Richard Tulloch and it had music by John Bates and that was the first produced in in nineteen eighty-nine.
2: And then Possibly, oh, so so it was only a of, only a couple of years before our school did it then.
0: Yeah, and then it actually wasn't published as like a book until like the mid '90s. So you were doing it before it was really published.
2: Wow, there must have been some sort of a connection with somebody for that. Then I, I wonder. I mean, it was clear, like the whole primary school was involved with it. <laughs> all the teachers were very sort of, you know, making a big deal about it. They had auditions. Mm. All the roles, except I think for the narrator. Um, everybody was. Everybody else was actually played by real primary school kids. Yeah. Um, uh, with obviously, you know, the, the preps being, you know, little bumbling chorus type trees and yeah. bushes.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And like having read the book now, like it totally definitely lends itself to the stage, and particularly as a musical because there's songs and stuff in it already. Mm. And actually, in 1968, I found on Trove this was before the actual play was written but a class did an adaptation of one of the scenes themselves this is from the western herald oh wow the burke western herald from the 12th of july 1968 and this is a report at the primary school class 4c go 4c teacher miss a donahue 4c presented a play based on a short extract from the highly recommended book of the year midnight by randolph stowe this is a story of a wild colonial 17-year-old boy who is all alone in the world except for five animals and in desperation turns to bush ranging and calls himself Captain Midnight. 4C adapted a scene where Midnight, Sam Buster and his Siamese cat, Michelle Dwyer... Oh, I'll go Michelle. Yeah. ...held up and robbed a stagecoach. But Midnight is baffled by Trooper O'Grady, Ian Duncan, who, while pretending to give Midnight advice, picked his pocket... Peter Loder pompously acted the judge. They don't say who played the governor, which is fair. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> the play was thoroughly enjoyed by all.
1: I wonder if 4D liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Only 4C was allowed to participate. Well done, 4C. Well done, yeah. okay. 4C. Now, Christina, I want to ask you, mm. did you have any roles in primary school plays? I was hoping for this moment, Penny. Yeah. I, I, I did. I, I was a regular up there. And what, what plays did your school So we used to do some, I guess, those weird ones where you're not really sure what play it is but you remember the character that you played. So I remember in prep being a cockatoo. There's um, a cockatoo in there. And I do remember that my mum spent a lot of time making me a yellow um, cockatoo headdress out of poster paper. (laughs) And at the last minute I left that on the seat because I was embarrassed by it. And I remember my teacher bringing it up on stage and there was a moment where I flat out refused to put that on my head. And in the same production, I was also a rabbit. (laughs) I was very versatile and I do remember my friend Eva also being a rabbit. But I do remember having a very uncomfortable moment where it suddenly became clear Eva had weed on the stage whilst she was a rabbit and all of the other rabbits had to sort of dag off the stage with wee feet because you know how every primary school production you just wore coloured tights (laughs) and a skivvy? Yeah. (laughs) So we're all in our white tights and skivvies with a, a tail attached to our tights and you could see your undies through your tights. Oh, my
2: goodness, that poor kid. It's
1: horrific. And we showed that footage at Eva's 18th because her parents recorded
0: it. So you know it's not just in your memory. Yeah, Yeah, it's not not just in my memory.
1: No. So that was one of my faves. Um, Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah, and we did a number of Gilbert and Sullivan musicals, which I think were quite ambitious for primary school. (laughs) We did The Mikado. (laughs) And then we did um, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcast.
2: Oh, God. Just any- Your school was really. That, that's ambitious. I'm pretty sure okay. Castlemaine North Primary School did Captain Midnight and then that was and then just
1: Yeah, big- that killed everybody. Big old rest. <laughs> Someone <laughs> went on
0: work cover after that. <laughs> but let's go back, Tim. Let's go back to the auditions. Tell us about them.
2: Um, they were good. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't actually audition for the governor. I, I, I Rigged. <laughs> I think nobody auditioned for the governor, which is why I got the role. But, um,. <laughs> Uh, Tim,
1: no. we've got a role that we think would really suit you. There's not much speaking.
2: <laughs> that, was, that was more or less <laughs> it. There uh, is a hatch <laughs>
1: and some chains.
2: Well, no, no, I, I actually, I as 11-year-old me, I thought the funniest thing would be if I auditioned for the role of Queen Victoria because then ah. I could speak in a funny voice.
1: Hilarious. Mm. Sit I down, did, Tim.
0: I read this to <laughs> my son, this book to my son, and I did the voice, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you know what it's like. Ah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, the, oddly enough the teachers didn't think that um, making an eleven-year-old boy play Queen Victoria would be the best move. So mm. uh, no, I got to be the governor instead, which was pretty fun. I got to have a cool blue cardboard hat, which I, I kept. Oh, for the years,
1: cardboard years. hats are coming out today, aren't they? Yeah, Becky Fitz played Cat, which completely makes sense to me because she was quite actery, and it's a she big would have image. worn tights and a skivvy with <laughs> yeah. a tail made out of pantyhose stuffed with a newspaper. She absolutely <laughs> did, hundred <laughs> percent. Lizzie Welsh was a cockatoo. She would have been little
0: then, so she, she did really well. Yeah. And we don't know. Tripp O'Grady's the other really big character in it. And, yes. and we, we can't remember.
2: Yeah. Someone
1: will ring in
2: I've, and let us know. <laughs> yeah. I, I was searching for my copy of the program and could not find it before this, this podcast yeah. episode, but oh, I wish I could remember who played O'Grady. I remember Captain Midnight was played by, I believe, Lockie Taylor, mm. uh, my friend at the time, who, which –
1: has he gone on to great things in
2: Hollywood? Well, not that I know of, but mm-hmm. he was very good. He was, he was you know, smart and talented and he could do some singing. It was, no, it worked really well. And I think for it, it, <laughs> a primary school play, you need a good, smart, charismatic kid to do yeah. the lead role or else it's going to completely fall Absolutely.
1: over. Absolutely. Entire productions are built around that one kid. Yeah. That was, so
2: he was that one kid. That, yeah. Was, yeah, that was the good.
0: problem with our
1: play when
0: we did Little Red Riding Hood. At my school, and I played the title role. <laughs> Did you really? Did yeah. Penny. It
1: was very. I didn't realise I was in the presence of such greatness.
0: Yeah, but it was actually one of those things where I got the. I was really excited. I got the, um, the main role, and then, and then when we got the scripts and we started looking through it, my sister Georgina got the role of the narrator, and I was looking through. I was like. She's got more lines than me.
1: Outrage, but you got so the got you the... got the costume.
0: Yeah, but then I realised I just did not like acting. <laughs> <laughs> but the the original professional production of Midnight by the Black Swan Theatre in WA, mm. and it had some future stars in the cast. Actually, Midnight was played by Kevin Harrington, mm. aka Kevin from Sea Change. Huh. Ah. Oh. Loved
1: sea change.
0: Yeah. Bring so back sea change. He would have been a kid then. And then um, Tripper O'Grady was played by Richard Dillane, who now lives in the UK, and he's been in like every British show you can think of. Mm-hmm. Midsummer Murders, oh. Silent Witness. Other ones. Other
1: ones.
2: <laughs> w- <laughs> a Touch of Frost.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Probably is that one.
0: The Bill. Probably, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's a proper play. Yeah. Now it Randolph Stowe, Have you are you guys aware of his work?
2: No. I, I remember the name because because uh, he's
0: Western Australian. Yeah. And, and is I, it a, a real, real name, he's Randolph? He's a proper proper author. We studied his mm. book Mary Go Round in the Sea. In year 12.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a famous one.
0: Mm. He's Western Australian and so the book is actually set in Western Australia. Yes. Now, my memory of the play is that it was set in <laughs>
2: Castlemaine. It was, ab- was. I
0: projecting or did they change it?
2: No, no, they absolutely changed it from Western Australia. Yeah. In fact, my role was originally, like, in the book it's the governor of Western Australia. No, I was the governor of Victoria.
1: Yeah. Excellent.
2: And the other change they made, I think, was uh, to make a big deal out of Lola Montez um, as a character, being a famous dancer Uh He was renowned for being a spy and things. Oh, wow. And I I think they made a bigger role for somebody to pretend to be Lola Montez. Oh,
0: actually, no, there was a character here who he goes over and visits in England, So what's the connection between Lola Montez and Castlemaine?
2: Well, Castlemaine has got the Theatre Royal, which is uh, – it had, like, you know, I think the longest continuously operating theatre sort of record. I don't know how many caveats there were around that record. But, yeah, a theatre that was in Castlemaine and is a theatre to this day – and Lola Montez was this very famous identity who was re- uh, renowned for being, like, I think a spy and okay. having affairs with the mm. Austrian emperor and a whole bunch of wild stories like that that probably weren't true. But she came to Castlemaine and famously did her, her legendary spider dance. Oh, wow. And, and mm. it was a big a big deal that got written up in various wow. stories during the Gold Rush. And so, of course, they got an 11-year-old to, to play Lola
0: <laughs> Lola Who was that? Yeah. Um, who played Lola Montez?
2: wouldn't remember this, but I think somebody said it was Gemma Dean Furlong.
0: Oh, yes, that would be good. <laughs> she would be great at that.
2: Yeah, so it was, so I think that was the change and moving it to, to Victoria <laughs> to make it a much more. Oh, hang on. Oh Lola Montez um, didn't have an affair with the Austrian Emperor. Uh, she became uh, the mistress of King Ludwig of Bavaria. So, <laughs> impressive.
0: Yeah, which makes total sense that they, they said it because, you know, Castlemaine has that Gold Rush, Bushranger connection and also Midnight is actually subtitled The Story of a Wild Colonial Boy, which, as we know, is a song about Castlemaine. So maybe. So it would have been very confusing for everyone if they had have kept it in, in Western Australia, I reckon. mm so Tim, you sung though, in
2: your role as the Governor, you know, I have a memory of singing, but I can't really remember whether it actually happened or not uh, it's it, it, Whatever I sang, there was not very much of it I, I'm not singing is not is not really my my great sort of skill um.
0: <laughs> and and what was the what was the music so, like was it live music or was it recorded
2: what? Well it, it was supposed to have been live but then at the uh, or at least sort of recorded music with everybody singing live but then at the end the school clearly chickened out and instead recorded everybody's dialogue <laughs> so that it would play through loudspeakers. <laughs>
0: everyone's dialogue.
2: Yes, the the entire I play. don't
0: remember that. <laughs> How bizarre.
2: They, they will see that they, they were too scared. So you were just
0: standing there or were you mouthing the words. Yeah,
2: mouthing the words. Because they were like a Britney Spears concert. They were obviously scared that you know the kids would be too quiet and nobody oh. could hear them. And the, there wasn't the the cheap available tiny oh. microphones you to you just mic have up to up stand
1: kids. at the back and yell at them to speak up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I tell you what. The audience didn't care.
2: (laughs) No, we're (laughs) all all very good. at loved it. Yeah, that's great.
0: And what do you remember about the plot of the play?
2: Uh, I, I I remember that he's a he's a bush ranger, and there's something to do with gold. There's there's a whole thing about him getting imprisoned and then escaping again. Uh, and and yep. apart from that, That's I remember... That's pretty much what
0: happens. I go. mean, I, at the time, just really watched it as, oh, this is about bushrangers and a guy who's had a hard life and then he gets some good, some good things happen. The book and the... like They're totally taking the piss out of all those bushranger tropes and fairy tales and mm. the, um, the folklore around it. Like, it's really making fun of it in a lot of ways. It's a very funny book. And Randolph Stowe, I always thought he was funny Eric around in the Sea, very serious book, but it has just a couple of lines in it that are really funny.
1: So I'm glad he got
0: (laughs) to sort of break out of that depressing prisoner of war camp nonsense that he was going
1: on about. (laughs) It was a phase. Exactly.
0: But he's got some funny lines in the book, like the judge at one point when he's being bush ranged says, have pity on me. I have 11 cousins and a great aunt in Wagga Wagga. (laughs) And then there's a cow called Dora and he says, the thing to remember about Dora is that she was a very aggravating cow and she knew it.
1: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> He's good.
0: And they use bush range as a as a verb all the time. So when every time they want something, they're like, oh, should we go and bush range some? <laughs> <laughs> and so I really enjoyed it. It's a little bit dated and in the book it does mention Indigenous people but very much only in the background. It's almost... Like I was, mm,
2: I was trying to remember hardly.
0: in the play. It's not mentioned at all. They cut it out oh, entirely.
2: That makes sense. I was, tr- I was trying to wreck my memory to be like, they have any kids in blackface,
0: oh, like, nah.
2: but no, I'm, I'm because
0: they weren't characters. They just absolutely weren't characters. It was only ever. Oh, we saw some people or we mm-hmm. saw some, um, there was some rock art that they looked at and that's, you know, that's it. What was the critical reception of the play? Like,
2: um, <laughs> I have no idea
0: because I know from Newstead that we loved it.
2: I, I think people were pretty positive about it. Everyone seemed to have a good time. It was—it's so weird thinking back on it, particularly when you do something like that as a kid and all you get are these weird little kid memories. Which mm. are, and and you can just tell there's so much that must have been going over your head that that all the all the, like all the all the jokes that are aimed at adults and, and all the other elements of it. I, I didn't even know that other schools had been invited to go see it. I, that how it many performances of, did you do? I think we only did two or three. Probably
1: um, we were lucky. Yeah, it was a limited season. They didn't make enough money to put a new roof on the gym even. <laughs> it was great.
0: I did a little bit of research about who the real Captain Midnight is.
2: Well, my memory was that it was like a, a weird sort of a composite character. of. of is, is that right?
0: Yeah, basically. There was actually a bush ranger called Captain Midnight and he operated around Dubbo. He was a bit of a... Um, he was pretty full-on bush ranger. Like he stole horses, cattle, shot a policeman. Wow! Um, and you have when a pet cat or <laughs> <laughs> just the cockatoo <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and a cow and a, and a sheep dog. And it's really nice. I live in a cottage. When he died, he he wouldn't tell anyone his real name, and he said, "My right name, I will never tell. I have lived as a dog, and like a dog, I will die." Oh,
2: well, as far as last words that's go, not... that's that's pretty. Whoa.
0: Yeah, I mean it's good dramatic stuff. Um, maybe not for a kids' show. Um, <laughs> and he's ironically buried with the name Thomas Law on his tombstone. Hmm. Is that irony? Hmm.
2: Hmm. Buried under the law?
0: Mm. But that, even though there was a real Captain Midnight, that is not who Stowe based his midnight on. He based it on Moondine Joe, who was a bush ranger, escapologist and Nostrum monger.
2: Nostrum manga. I
0: forgot to look up what that means.
2: I thought a nostrum was like a small room in a church. Maybe I'm misremembering that. I
0: don't know. But anyway, when I looked up Moondine Joe's history, the story of the book pretty much just follows his life. He was amazing. And I actually found an article about him. This is from the Northern Argus, Western Australia. Escape of Moondine Joe.
2: Oh, oh. I figured out what a nostrum is. What is it? It's also a medicine prepared by an unqualified person, especially one that is not considered effective.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So he's just flogging.
2: Flogging snake oil. Yeah,
0: Yeah.
1: ivermectin. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. It'll cure COVID. Oh, worm
2: horses better. (laughs) (laughs) Very effective on worms.
0: Mm. Probably no event in the colony ever more tickled the risible faculties of the public than did the escape of the notorious convict Moondine Joe on the afternoon of Thursday last week. Joe's ingenuity in making his escape from his apparently hopeless condition has gained him many sympathisers who express an opinion that he has earned his freedom. Well, especially as Mr. Hampton, who was the governor, is said to have told him when he saw him put into the cell which had been specially prepared for him that if he managed to make his escape again he would forgive him. <laughs> that cell, which is what happens in the book. Yeah. Which I thought was just completely made up but it, it, it's, <laughs> it's real. That cell was made wonderfully strong as much as so as iron and wood could make it. And in it, Joe was kept chained to a ring in the floor or wall, allowing a movement of about one yard in heavy irons with one hour's exercise daily in one of the yards. Joe was set to work at stone breaking under the eye of the sentry upon the prison walls and the warder of the chain gang working in the yards. How long he was so employed, we know not. But on Thursday afternoon, on being visited by the warder, the prisoner was gone and in his place, was a neatly contrived dummy. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: is spectacular. Yeah.
0: I mean, in the books the cat just comes along and saves him all the
2: time. Yes. This is actually more impressive. Well, to be fair, we don't know that he didn't have a cat. It, it Maybe the cat right. brought him a key.
1: Cats
0: are pretty clever. I'm sorry about that. Sorry, cat. When the escape was discovered, the consternation amongst the prison officials is said to have been worth witnessing. (laughs) The warder, who did not ascertain the fact until he had actually taken the dummy by the arm, was nearly sick with fright. The superintendent could not believe it and brought forward a theory that it could not possibly be a fact. Wow. However, the alarm bell was rung, the gun was fired and the police and military distributed.
2: I'm surprised they haven't made a movie of this.
0: Yeah, like what a cool yep. guy and basically in the end cuz this guy kept escaping it was too embarrassing so they just let him yeah, just, stay out. just go out. <laughs> and then the other person who the character's based on is Captain Starlight, who the book says was a bush ranger gentleman clerk
1: of the Geological Survey Department WA <laughs> and now works at the Royal Children's
0: Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so he really worked his way up respectability-wise. <laughs> That he killed a lot of, you know, he, did, he killed a policeman, he stole cattle, he did fraud, he seemed to be a pathological liar with no moral compass. Mm. He was also very clever, well-educated and became a public servant. <laughs> um, great. <laughs> so never, what a jam-packed CV. <laughs> exactly. Wow. This is from the Kalgoorlie Western Argus from the 4th of December 1900 and this is just after he died and it's the starlight story starlight as a civil servant oh god okay so when he was a civil servant he was known as major pelly
2: oh so er, along with everything else he became a major
0: yeah he, he said he'd done stuff in india <laughs> Our inquiries prove that he was a most mysterious person. His conduct at times was so strange as to cause those who had to associate with him to assume that he was occasionally bereft of his senses. For instance, he had whims that he carried out to what appeared to be extremes and which not infrequently bordered on the ludicrous. So the rest of the article is basically just about people complaining how he was
1: weird at work.
0: (laughs) It's very relatable content, It actually. is
1: relatable.
0: And just so that does kind of mean that the next time you have a colleague who does seem a bit odd... Only one. Could, they, <laughs> sorry, I forgot you worked in a school. Yes. Yeah, um, Any. They, they could be bush rangers. They could. That's all I'm saying. His behaviour in the office also rapidly excited curiosity. Oh. At times he was quite rational, but at other times he became eccentric and was an object of pity. When the Geological (laughs) Department was located in Pier Street, he informed his fellow officers that he was engaged to be married to a niece of his landlady. This was credited because it was not unusual to see a young woman escort Major Pally to his office and kiss him before leaving him at the office door. And what I like about this is they've written kiss him in In, in 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 capitals like a heading.
2: Kiss him! Wow,
0: are we, are we in grade five? We are. What's happening? Well, look,
2: if, if you've got a newspaper you're trying to sell in Western Australia in 1900, you want yeah. the, the big facts out in big letters.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I would love it. Well, I read this
1: article. Kiss him. Yes, I will.
0: <laughs> but I, I'd love it if, like, the weirdest thing someone at work had done was just kissing someone. That'd be <laughs> <laughs> But you're not meant to, are you? No. Depends so, where you work. <laughs>
2: It was. It was at the door of the, the the office. It wasn't. There was. There wasn't any kissing no. in the office.
1: Yeah, they so. weren't standing at the photocopier going. For, <laughs> <laughs> as far as we know, so
0: um, midnight, the um, book and the play is like, a based on, like, a mishmash of these two characters, which is very common with, as we've talked about, with bush-ranging stories, that they'll kind of blend people together. And when I first started looking in this before I knew that about the real Randolph Stowe story, I thought that it might have been based on a play called Captain Midnight. There was also a play by that name.
2: Oh, before the book, you mean?
0: Before, in 1901. Hmm. And so... This that, At that point, like, Bush Ranging it only just sort of finished in the last 20 years.
2: Well, that, that was, there was a big sort of, I mean, I know sort of equivalently in America that was when you had the sort of Buffalo Bill Wild West show and stuff. That was mm. all early 1900s mm. when it was just old enough that it was a big sort of nostalgia kind of thing.
0: Yeah, people romanticised it pretty quickly. And, of course, mm. actually, like, the songs came out at the time and people would write those ballads about bushrangers and people were sympathetic to them. Mm. And that article that we read about Moondyne, like very jaunty about a criminal, very sympathetic towards him. There was Robbery Under Arms, which is a novel um, about bushrangers, which had a Captain Starlight in it. Nice. And Captain Starlight was based on the real Captain Midnight.
2: <laughs> this, is very, <laughs> this is very confusing. <laughs> okay. Wasn't there also a Captain Moonlight yeah, yeah, I
0: didn't even get into him. But you see what I mean? It is like totally confused. Like that's the real one who's made up of these two oh. fake ones who was mm. the real – like it just – it goes all around. And then – and we're not even talking about the most famous um, Bushranger of all, mm. Ned Kelly. Mm. And the first um, feature film ever was made about Ned Kelly in 1906.
2: Mm. So it's clearly a very zeitgeisty to be still telling Bushranger yeah. stories.
0: And so I think people have always been – a bit scared of Bushrangers but also a little bit there's also been that public idea Great of them excitement. being thrilled by them, which this book is just like all about. Like it's always talking about Bushranging being romantic and it's totally mm. sending up that idea. Well,
2: well, even before this, I mean, I, I suppose if you want to take a, a big long view, it goes back to like, you know, there's all those stories of English highwaymen like Dick mm. Turpin and then yeah. before that you've got Robin Hood which was obviously yeah. a big sort of, there was Robin Hood songs like you know, yeah. hundreds yeah. of years ago. and there's,
0: there's some whole theory about it in uh, b- banditry historians. Um, They call them social bandits, I think.
2: Social bandits.
0: People who were stealing, but for more, but yeah, but also had public sympathy for their deeds.
1: Mm.
0: But anyway, thank you so much, Tim, for coming and talking to us about this play, which is very fond in my memory. And I just had no idea that I knew someone (laughs) who was in it. Can I get your
2: autograph? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for inviting me on again. This has been this has been really great. It was Being
0: fun. Fun to talk about bush rangers. They're fun. <laughs> they
1: are.
2: They're, they're fun as long as you're sleeping comfortably in your bed while it happens to somebody else.
1: Yeah.
0: Rangers and I'm excited about this topic, and I'm worried that we're not going to get to the bit that I'm most excited about
2: which is the bit that you're, you're most excited the play. about life <laughs> <laughs>